This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Kurt Stoll, Director of Marketing Automation at 3D Systems. Kurt has also served as the Director of Marketing Automation at Symantec and Hewlett Packard. In this conversation, Kurt explains how integrating revenue operations can unlock growth and explains the challenges and advantages of marketing a product with an unlimited number of use cases. This interview was conducted live at Serious Decisions in Austin, so please excuse a little background noise. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And to my right, in our little studio in the center of Serious Decisions, Lauren Vaccarello. Hello, it is amazing to to be here today. We have had such a great, great Serious decision so far. A nice, busy couple of days. And we have an amazing guest. Kurt, how's it going? Hey, it's going great. This has been a fantastic show. Excited to see some of the new things that have been introduced for you know, revenue operations. It actually confirms some of the work that I've done in the past with some other companies I've been with. So excited to see some of these things coming together here at Serious Decisions. We are excited to talk about all things marketing automation. Obviously, it's a topic near and dear to our hearts. And we're going to get into your background. You've worked at some some big companies that I'm sure people know, like BMC, HP Enterprise, Symantec, and now 3D Systems. But first, you actually have a degree in marketing. Is that right? I do. I have a degree in marketing. Not so many people you know, know. get to actually use their degree. But yes, I started with a degree in marketing. My career has been kind of a securitous uh, route. I've had a background in both marketing and technology. So marketing automation, marketing operations was a natural fit for me. Tell us, tell us how, you, how you got into marketing outside of, obviously, the, the college education of marketing. Uh, wow. So how I first got into marketing was uh, over the summer in, in college, I was working for Southwest Airlines mm-hmm. And actually helping out with reservations and things like that. But you could also volunteer in some of the other departments there if you wanted to. And at the time, I was an undeclared major. I wasn't really sure what it was that I wanted to do. And uh, so volunteering in their marketing organization, it was a blast. I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a lot of very hard work, but I really enjoyed it. That's what gave me the moment that said, this is what I want to do with my life. So changed my degree to marketing and... It's been great ever since. That's awesome. And internships are such great ways to figure out, oh my gosh, this is absolutely what I want to do. Or, you know, that was, I'm glad I got to try that, but that's not my thing. I highly recommend that. I have a, um, a niece who was you know, considering some different job options. Oh. And I said, go volunteer. Mm-hmm. Actually go work in the environment and figure out if that's what you really want to do. It's, it's a great way to really kind of figure it out. Totally. I am, um, my, Ian knows, knows I love a good tangent. When I was in undergrad, that's I thought true. I <laughs> Really do. Um, I thought I wanted to work in the music industry. Mm -hmm. Loved music. Thought I wanted to work in the music industry. And I worked for a record label 
for a summer plus. And I learned I really don't want to work in the music industry <laughs> at all, at all. I like music. <clears throat> yeah. If I worked in the music industry, that would go away. Yeah, about as far as I ever got with something like that is I actually was uh, a college radio DJ. Oh, fun. Yeah, at, at my college, Sam Houston State. I had a lot of fun doing it, but I, again, I also figured out that, you know, in the beginning, salaries are, you know, very competitive, and <laughs> uh, it takes a while to work your way up. So, I mean, it, that's true of a lot of industries, yeah. but yeah. But great learning experience. It was, yes. So, before we get into the revenue operation stuff, I actually want to take a quick second to talk about 3D systems. You and I had a, uh, a long conversation uh, yesterday at the conference because I love to geek out about this stuff. Can you share with our listeners who might not know just like what the company does, what type of customers are you working with and, and all the cool things? Um, because I think it's just so cutting edge and interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So 3D systems uh, is the world's leading 3D printing company and we make 3D printers, 3D software, 3D scanners, materials, and uh, even provide 3D printing services. If people aren't ready to buy their own 3D printer to print things with, uh, we have a service that will print it for them uh, on their behalf. The amazing thing about 3D printing is not just the technology you know, itself and, and um, you know, how cool it is, but it's what people actually make out of it, mm-hmm. right? And that's, to me, that's what's really so fascinating. And I, I did bring a couple of examples of, you know, some of the things that people have been able to actually yes. accomplish yes. with 3D printing. Send it. <laughs> okay. T- tell us what are the coolest things yeah. that some customers have printed. Yeah. So, well, one of our big customers is a company called uh, Align Technologies. They're the makers of the Invisalign, yeah, Invisalign. Clear Aligners. Oh, Oh, yes, yes. I yeah. had Invisalign. Ah, see, there you there go. You go. Well, so I've got you're such in, a... By extension, yes. you're, you're amazing, one of our customers as well. Amazing <laughs> set of twofers there. <laughs> exactly. exactly. All thanks to Invisalign. Yeah, they are actually the largest 3D printing company in the world. Whoa. Oh. Because, you know, they, they print about 1.6 million aligners per week. And every single one of them, obviously, it's personalized <laughs> yep. for the patient. So you've got this sort of mass customization that's enabled by 3D printing. And down smaller than a millimeter... And that it's is, a perfect fit, isn't it? It is a perfect fit every time. A little too perfect in the first couple hours. <laughs> but yeah. that is absolutely amazing. I have had a lot of Invisalign aligners. So I am, I'm very <laughs> grateful for your company, as, is, as are my team. That's great. Yeah. Um, that's really, uh, man, that's a lot. That is insane of how many. 1.6 million a week. Um, so clearly a volume game here. What, what yes. else? What are some other cool things? Yeah, so um, NASA. So NASA uses or has used 3D systems, software, and printers to create parts for the Mars rover. So you know, the thing about that is when you, when you talk about taking something like a Mars rover, you know, all the way across the solar system, or not all the way, but, you know, to Mars, right? That's an incredible distance. And so you weight is a huge factor. Mm-hmm. So there's all these things that you have to consider and, you know, and try to test out and prototype and try to get right about, you know, making things as lightweight as possible, mm-hmm. but still making them strong because you're going into a foreign environment. You're not mm-hmm. sure exactly, you know, what it is that you're going to encounter. And so that was a great partnership that we had with NASA to help develop, you know, parts and wheels and things like that for the rover that they had out there. You know, one of the things, so I... Um I knew 3D systems before, and one of the reasons we were excited to do the to do the interview. 
Did you know this, Lauren? I don't think you were, you weren't there when we were talking about this yesterday. So that there's certain shapes that you literally can't make with traditional manufacturing. So like uh, like a honeycomb or like lattice structures okay. or things like that. You only can do it with additive manufacturing. So like if you wanted to make a, like a one piece lattice, you can't do it. Like how crazy is that? That is nuts. Yeah. I just, I, I mean, I, I really like space and I think it's so <laughs> cool. You can do that. We had a whole episode where every example that we talked about was like, well, what if it was the CIO of NASA? Yeah. (laughs) Because that, I mean, as a giant science nerd, that has to be the coolest job in the world is to work for NASA. Um, And the fact that you are at a company that is everything from Invisalign aligners to, you know, parts to help the rover, you know, traverse Mars is completely incredible. There's a very broad spectrum of potential mm-hmm. applications for 3D printing. And that's actually one of the things that over time that we've been finding are, you know, where are the areas where there's there's really solid, practical business application, you know, uh, but that also lets you build in a lot of the great creativity that, that people have. So aerospace, as we just mentioned, and, you know, um, NASA, Northrop Grumman, you know, lots of other companies like that. Automotive, right? Yeah. So think about uh, race cars, you know, NASCAR or other types of, you know, uh, for race cars, they need to quickly prototype different things and test them out because it's it's all a competition for speed, right? Mm-hmm. And, and how, how fast can you make it? How lightweight can you make it, right? So, you know, they need to be able to turn those things around quickly as well. Healthcare that we just mentioned, mm-hmm. right? And I've also got a, a customer story here that I, I think is a really a, a great one for 3D printing. It's called Derby the Dog. I don't know if you guys ever heard no. of that. No. So we had a 3D systems employee who adopted a dog uh, who had deformed front legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what she did was she worked together with our engineers. She was an engineer herself, actually. And uh, they printed some prosthetic legs that then allowed him to run and play, you know. Mm-hmm. And so and that's not just true for, you know, for pets. Right. It's also true for humans. Yeah. I mean, we print parts in the healthcare industry that help people to rebuild if they've been injured. You know, they could re- rebuild parts of their face or of their skull or, you know, have prosthetic you know, limbs and things like that, that help them get back to having a more normal, you know, healthy type of life. It's so cool. And I think, you know, as marketers, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are sitting there thinking like, what a fun thing to market, right? Like when you have these type of stories, when you had these type of use cases, like, wow, that's great. We can market these, you know, before the sale, you know, and after the sale with customer success. But at the same time, you know, we need to be grounded in, you know, reality, which sometimes we go a little too far in the creative. <clears throat> and I want to start to touch on how do you leverage these type of creative stories and integrate that with what you're doing um, with revenue operations and the customer lifecycle? Oh, that's a big question. Um, we can unpack it a little bit. You can, <laughs> we, can enjoy, we can hit them hit in order here. Yeah, certainly. So, again, what we will do is, uh, you know, it's part of the responsibility of of marketing and, and marketing operations and, and revenue operations in total, right, is to really kind of figure out what are the applicable markets, right? Where are we seeing traction in certain types of markets? Then within those markets, we want to understand, you know, different types of industries that that have potential uh, that are able to actually produce some things, you know, of worth that are that are repeatable. And then uh, also trying to figure out then who are the personas within those different industries that we want to start targeting. You know, once we figured out where the market is and uh, you're right, it can it can vary a lot. So we're talking about healthcare, aerospace, 
automotive, consumer goods. There's just such this broad application. And that can be kind of the challenge, right, is to yeah. try and develop enough focus so that we can put the right kind of you know effort into certain markets and, and develop those markets, allow our marketers and sales teams to be able to better target people within those certain markets and to, to provide messages that are relevant, right? Because obviously those stories are very different. Absolutely. You know? And people always think, well, when your target audience can legitimately be anybody, yeah. you are appropriate for every industry, every use case. They're like, oh, this has got to be the, like a marketer's dream. This is so easy. Everyone can use your product. <laughs> and you're like, actually, it's a lot harder because everyone can use the product in a completely unique way, which makes it one of the hardest problems to solve because... Where do we start? Where do we start? What do we focus on? And we only have so many resources, right? Absolutely. So you know, we need to, again, find out where the market is. Where can we get traction? Where can we provide a, a winning solution? And, and where can we be you know, competitive? Absolutely. And revenue operations is, in so many ways, the backbone to being able to do that. Yes. Yes. In many cases. I mean, because we're, we're tying together the complete customer lifecycle, everything from, you know, demand gen to pipeline acceleration to, you know, to deal closing to uh, helping to nurture them through the, the usage of the product mm -hmm. after post-sale, you know, revenue operations is central to all of that. Absolutely. So let's get tactical here, much like our let's get digital joke that we made once upon a time. Um <laughs> Let's get tactical here because you're the one that's actually implementing a lot of this stuff and aligning a single revenue operations organization. Uh, you have some best practices that you've used at HP and Symantec. Can you kind of walk through some of that stuff? Yes. So, yeah, there's been several, you know, keys that we've had to align some of the different pieces. So, so as announced today for revenue operations, some of the key pieces of the, are the core team for revenue operations are sales operations, marketing operations, sales enablement, and customer success. Yeah. So I'll kind of start with, you know, the traditional where, where a lot of people try to seek alignment, right, between marketing and sales. And one of the things that we put together when I, that we did utilize this both at HP and at Semantic was essentially an integrated marketing and sales funnel guide. Sort of the very first key rule is the only way you can have substantive conversations about alignment, which is what this is all really about, right? Whether or not you have a true revenue ops organization or you're just aligning things to achieve, you know, revenue ops is making sure everybody's on the same page. You know, what are the definitions? What are the processes? What are the SLAs, the metrics, all those types of things? So the first thing we did was we put together this document that was the integrated marketing and sales funnel guide. And we defined everything, you know, even some of the stages that were, you know, pre-serious decisions, waterfall, you know, everything from visitor to inquiry. Well, they actually started inquiry, but, you know, some of the things that happened just a little bit before inquiry, um, visitor and prospect, that's what it was. And then we define that all the way through you know, your AQL, your TQL, your SAL, SQL, et cetera. And so that was you know, defining it at each of those different levels. What's the definition? How do we measure it? What does it look like within the system? You have to kind of sometimes really talk about you know, getting technical. You know, sometimes you have to help people understand, well, which platform does this actually happen in? Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And within that platform, what does it look like? What's the definition of it within that platform? So kind of getting down to that level so that people then, oh, the light goes on. Okay, now, yeah, I know I worked in the system. I saw that happen in the system. So now I understand how these things 
you know, relate to each other. What, sorry, can you unpack some of those, the terms? You said, what was it AQL? I was the middle one. Yes. SQL so prior to the demand unit waterfall, the version that Sirius had was, it was the just the demand waterfall, but it was the revised version where they recognized some of these other kind of interim functions that they had. Once marketing, once you had the inquiry come in, all right, then your marketing automation system qualifies it through lead scoring or what have you, and then passes it to your CRM system in the form of an AQL, which is an automation qualified lead, right? And then after you've generated that lead, your telequal team has to accept it. So you have a TAL, telequalified accepted lead. But that decisions, that serious decisions, waterfall, demand waterfall also recognizes the fact that your telequal team can generate some of their own leads. So they may have a TGL, a telequalification generated lead. Oh my goodness. Right? And then once it's qualified by the telequal team, then it's a TQL, then it's a telequalification qualified lead. And then when that gets passed over, typically from a lead to an opportunity, you know, normally your sales team will say, okay, I accept this qualified lead from Telecall. That's a SAL, sales uh, accepted lead. Mm-hmm. And then once it gets to a certain stage of pipeline, you know, normally it's like stage one or two or maybe two or three you know, of your opportunity stages within, we use Salesforce for our CRM, of course, then it's an SQL at that point until it becomes a closed one or closed lost opportunity. I didn't hear MQL in there. Ah, well, that's the thing. MQL actually encompasses AQL, TAL, TGL, TQL. All those things together are an MQL. So they kind of moved away from the just MQL, kind of oversimplified the process. Yeah, sure. Right? So those those acronyms are kind of bundled up into the MQL. That was I feel like good. I just got a lot smarter. Yeah, no kidding. That was really good. <laughs> Um, we had a, a whole um, conversation with Karen Steele, who's a CMO over at Lean Data, about this sort of elevation of marketing operations and revenue operations that's being had right now and how excited we are about it. Because for so long, we felt like marketing operations was the team, the department that sort of sat in the background. It was the team that you couldn't necessarily see, so got underfunded, under-resourced, under-appreciated, while teams that you can see were the ones who sort of get funded and resourced. And we're like, there's this this resurgence that's happening in marketing operations and RevOps where not just marketing, but the business is really recognizing the impact that a strong marketing operations and RevOps organization has. And she's like, we call them um, op stars. Op stars. And okay, I, like, I like that. I, I yeah, that's good. That. Because I always hated marketing operations being called mops because <laughs> I was like, yes, they clean up everybody's mess. But, and I was like, okay, That's from funny. now on, this is Opstars. I like that. Yes. I like that a lot. Well, in, in some of the organizations that I've been a part of, you know, marketing ops would also get some additional visibility because traditionally, again, at, at Semantic and HP, we owned a lot of the uh, analytics yep. reporting, right? So we would help. We would share that. So that gave us some level of visibility. We also would run the SDR teams Mm -hmm. and also a lot of the analytics around, you know, things like lead aging. And, you know, so that that allowed us to kind of come back to the business and say, hey, here's where we're performing well. Here's where we're improving on velocity. Mm -hmm. Here's where we're improving on conversions. Here are the campaigns that we see working or not working. You know, so that advisor, make sure to take advantage of that advisor level role that you have for the business. 
So after the opportunity is won and we get into the post-purchase, how have you looked at the customer success program uh, as, as part of this? Yeah, well, it's it's a natural fit. And that was actually one of the things that we did at Symantec was we took the integrated marketing and sales funnel guide that we had, and we actually extended it to the different stages of uh, the customer lifecycle to be able to, you know, to market to them. So it's, I essentially just sort of see it as a, a continuation. So I'm really excited to see that Serious Decisions, you know, is, is taking that same viewpoint. And the way we began, we didn't, you know, just come out and say, oh, okay, we're going to develop this massive customer customer lifecycle program, you know, well, we did, but in terms of how we <laughs> wanted to phase it in, right, yeah. because it, it does involve a lot, you know, it's essentially a program that you run over the course of an entire year, right, to basically you start off with a communication that says, you know, welcome to the family, welcome to the company, we're excited to have you on board, great things await for you using our products and solutions, and then from there, you want to continue to introduce them over time to all the great resources that they can take advantage of as, as customers of that product and or as, just as customers for us as a company. And you actually integrate those things together with other functions. So your inside sales team with your customer success team, with your renewals team, you know, you actually stage a lot of that out. But before we actually did that, the first thing that we did was we actually just started with a simple renewals program. You know, so this is, and this is one of the points I like to make, you know, to people when I get into these types of discussions is the role that marketing automation like Pardot can play in, you know, the customer life cycle. So yeah. many people just think of it in terms of how do we utilize it for awareness, demand gen, pipeline acceleration, right? But it can play a really huge role in what you do from a total customer lifecycle perspective. And so we ran a simple renewal program that started about 120 days out just to just to get you know something up and going it was targeted at the SMB and commercial market you know mm -hmm. for for software for semantic and we had a huge success i mean we increased our renewal rates by about 50% when wow. we ran this you know because the renewal program wasn't just a hey you're you know, maintenance is running out, please renew. It was a reminder of all the value that they had gotten out of the product and out of our customer service and out of our, you know, uh, user outreach programs and things like that over time. And the value that hopefully that they've been getting out of it. A customer lifecycle program is really just an extension of that, right? You're actually during the customer lifecycle program, you're building all that value. Mm -hmm. You're actually, you know, delivering. So marketing automation can play in a very important role, not just in terms of communicating that, to them, but in also coordinating and facilitating some of those handoffs and activities, right, between uh, the actions that people take and, in, and how they engage with us to your customer success team, to your, you know, renewals team, you know, inside sales teams or account reps, et cetera. Can you give some examples of like how that, how that worked or the feedback that you got from customers on that? Because I think it's, and was it, so was this Symantec, this wasn't enterprise or was this enterprise? Yes, this was enterprise. Oh, it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Could you? Well, just... we, well I, I'm sorry. This was for the SMB and commercial market. So yeah, it wasn't, that's right. It wasn't for okay. the. Yeah, I apologize. No. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's B two B. Is what? Yeah. It is B two B. Yeah. So can you share some like customer stories or feedback or something that you got from that? Like some anecdotal information. Yeah, we, we got some. Uh, we got great response to it because if they didn't choose to renew. We would we would send them surveys to try and figure out you know, why it was that they didn't renew, and even some of those that didn't renew said that they you know really 
liked the the messaging that they received because we didn't start off with, again, just you need to renew. It was more around, hey, here are some of the great services we hope that you're taking advantage of. If not, you know, reach out to, you know, to customer support or, you know, become involved in one of our user groups or, you know, some of these types of things. So we took a very customer centric approach to, you know, making sure that they were getting as much value out of the product before we started to turn the messaging as a reminder that, you know, that if they hadn't renewed their maintenance, that they needed to go ahead and and do that. And as a matter of fact, what we also built into it was a way for them to raise their hand early, right? If they said, I want to talk to somebody now, I want to renew now. We gave them you know, the, the way to be able to click on something and, and reach out to somebody. And that actually happened in about, hmm, I want to say 20 to 25% of the cases, right? So instead of waiting until the very end and then trying to chase people down, you know, I think the fact that people were willing to raise their hand early meant that they were responding well to some of the messaging that we were providing. Yeah, it's a great point about marketing automation because I do think so many times we forget to that you can now just engage early and often to you know head off those problems because at the end of the point at the end of the day the number of people who are upset with what's happening with your product that are going to actually raise their hand and volunteer <laughs> that i mean i don't know what i don't have any have any study maybe you have some data about this but i'd imagine one in 10 people probably actually speak up when they're when they're unhappy yeah. and if they do speak up are they even getting it to the right place where you can make a difference, which is another piece. Is, is there any way that you are capturing that information to take actionable insight on it? Yes. Yeah, so, so part of what we would do is we would also schedule some check-ins, right? So it wasn't just about making sure they're taking advantage of the resources available to them and that they understand, you know, who they can reach out to if they have issues. Uh, we would also use marketing automation to try and help schedule appointments where in the beginning, we wanted them to actually define what are your goals in yeah. terms of how you want to use the product, creating a checklist of sorts, right? Yeah. So that gave us the perfect opportunity to come back in, say about six months after they had purchased the product to say, let's measure what your progress is towards these goals. And that's a great opportunity to also kind of solicit what are your issues? What are the problems that you're you're running into? Was this pointing back to a salesperson that they talked to or a customer success person? Or was this like a... It was a customer success person. Yes. I can't remember. You said that SDRs fell under that, but was customer success like part of the yeah, it was mostly the customer success and renewals team. Yeah. There was one checkpoint from inside sales. Uh, I forget. It was at, w- at one point of the process where they also would check in to see if there was any kind of cross-sell, upsell opportunity. Mm-hmm. So who oversaw, was customer success its own thing or did it fall it into was marketing? Customer success, yeah, it was a, a completely different uh, uh, organization. Okay, so you're partnering with the with customer success to like create these campaigns. In that case, we were partnering with them. They weren't actually part of marketing, but it was one of the first signs that that showed, you know, a very close and well thought out process could yield a lot of benefits for the company. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's so obvious in hindsight and maybe at the time you were kind of realizing, obviously you wrote 
you literally wrote, like, as you mentioned, the marketing and sales integrated funnel guide. So, I mean, clearly it was, it was so front of mind that you wrote this thing twice, but it just seems so obvious in retrospect, right? Where you're like, you know, Hey, we have this really good tool on marketing automation. We should probably focus on, you know, customer experience and the, and the life cycle rather than just, you know, point of sale, <laughs> trying to get them to, to buy right? Yeah. Well, there's a few factors involved, right? Part of it could be resources, you know, in totally. terms of where they're able to allocate resources, but a, another part of it can be that, that uh, people's familiarity or unfamiliarity with the technology. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people may not have the understanding that your marketing automation platform, you know, uh, in this case, well, let's talk about current day. I can utilize Pardot to look at opportunity data. I can also look at asset data, you know, things that customers have purchased. So I can leverage that data to build nurture programs around and build these types of programs with not everybody's uh, aware of the fact that you can actually leverage that data for, you know, customer success programs. So you sat in on a session today at Serious Decisions called Revenue Operations, Now is the Time. Can you explain uh, what you learned and then kind of your, your little uh, session that you had after that or private, <laughs> private session uh, that you had after that and kind of just share with our audience who wasn't at the conference kind of what you learned? Yeah, it was it was really a great opportunity. Uh, what we learned about in that session was that Serious Decisions is extending the demand unit waterfall to support customer success stages. And even within the demand unit waterfall, they're, they're expanding some of the areas like pipeline to add a little bit more specificity about you know, the actions and activities that occur there. And you had a chance to, to chat with the speaker afterwards. What was, what was that conversation? I did. I had an opportunity to speak with the Dana Tarian and ask him, you know, compare some notes on some of the key takeaways that he had. So I did want to confirm. So some of the core functions that they're saying, you know, are involved that they believe should be involved with revenue operations are sales ops, marketing ops, sales enablement, and customer success. And I was aware of the, you know, sales ops, marketing ops, customer success, but not so much the sales enablement piece, which I, which I thought was interesting. But I do understand how it, it fits within the puzzle. The other thing was um, another takeaway that he had was related to reporting and analytics. So a lot of times reporting and analytics might live in marketing operations. It might live in sales operations. One of the things that they advise is that you take that and you pull it into its own function, right? Still within revenue operations as a whole, but it unites the insights across your entire revenue engine. Right. So you want it to have a more objective view. Otherwise, if it's in one of those two groups, it might have some bias you know, depending on where they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then one of the other things that he said was, um, he spoke a lot about chief revenue officers. So a lot mm-hmm. of people, they said there was a huge increase in the number of people that are now referring to themselves as director of revenue operations or chief revenue officers that may or may not actually be, you know, completely in that role or, or serving that function. But it's definitely an area that's starting to see a lot of increase, you know, uh, on LinkedIn and other places. But he said more important thing is not necessarily having, you know, a specific chief revenue officer or director of revenue operations, but rather just to recognize the fact that better alignment between these core groups can lead to increased revenue growth and to start working on that alignment. And the best way to achieve it, so I asked him on, what are some practical first steps that people could take towards alignment? 
So what he recommended was to start filling out the revenue ops charter. So kind of like that spreadsheet I showed you, they've yeah. got a similar one for that addresses several key areas, you know, that you need to start doing some comparisons on uh, to see how well you are aligned between some of these key areas. So he recommends filling out the revenue ops charter. And also, if you're going to start somewhere, focus on process and metrics. And some of the strategic metrics he wrote, uh, said to take a look at were revenue, bookings, and churn within different accounts. That's really interesting. We'd actually heard that, and I forget who told it to us on the podcast. It might have been, um, I can't remember offhand. But yeah, that the, the rise of chief revenue officer on, on LinkedIn is like skyrocketing. And I think that one of the things that, that we talked about was this idea that it's a potentially scary situation for marketers, right? Because who's going to become the CRO? Like in most cases, <laughs> right. it's going to be VP of sales. And it's a potentially, you know, troublesome thing. But I, I think that's a really interesting point that it doesn't need to be a C-level title necessarily, but it needs to be revenue operations needs to be the glue that is in between both functions for sales and marketing. Absolutely. And they need to have a seat at the table, you know, at the C-level in order to be able to help them understand the value that it's going to bring to the organization and also the resources required to deliver it and to coordinate it. Let's get into some lightning round. Fast and easy questions, just like marketing automation with Pardot. Fast <laughs> and easy. You can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about all the amazing things that Pardot can do for your marketing automation. Fast and easy questions. Are you ready? Bring it. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Bird. So here Ooh. in Austin, you've got scooters yeah. everywhere. So I signed up for several of them and I used Bird to get back and forth from the hotel to the conference center. So that was fun. Favorite vacation spot? That's a tough one. I really enjoyed Napa, Napa Valley. So love going on the winery tours there. It's always perfect weather. Very nice. What do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Uh, marketing automation. Yeah, right. <laughs> Work fun. I like to uh, I like to grill. So yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously everyone can participate in that that type of fun. So I recently got a new smoker. Nice. So I'm, I'm doing really. I think I've got the art of smoking brisket down to Ooh. a fine science. I really do. Oh, <laughs> Jonah's ears perked up. Jonah, Jonah's our uh, he's our team chef here at Mission, uh, as well as our amazing audio engineer. Uh, what's your What's your brisket secret? wouldn't be a secret if you said it. <laughs> That's a yeah, great point. Exactly. Uh, wow. The, the secrets to creating it low and slow. So you want to keep the temperature low. Some of the other things. So I actually followed some of Franklin's method mm. on terms of how he smokes his briskets. Mm -hmm. I do one thing he doesn't do. I do inject uh, mm. some, some broth and uh, some apple juice and Worcestershire sauce into the brisket, which mm -hmm. helps, you know, add a little bit of juice there. But uh, yeah, just... Low and slow, make sure that you, you know, use just salt and pepper on the outside. You, some people oh, use, wow. yeah, most, uh, that's, that's the Franklin method, just salt and pepper. Now wow. you can use garlic powder, onion powder, maybe a little bit of, of pepper on there. Uh, uh, a little bit of chili pepper if you want to add a little bit of extra zing to it. What's your bark like? Yeah, the bark's great. So you, you uh, 
smoke it until it gets up to about 160 degrees internal temperature, wrap it in butcher paper. And what the butcher paper lets you do is that's called the Texas crutch. Mm. It lets you get through the stall because most brisket gets to about 160, 165 degrees. And then it just kind of stays there for hours. And a lot of people can get kind of confused or frustrated with that. But you wrap it in foil or paper. It'll let you get through that to stall in about uh, a couple hours or so, but still keep a good bark. I, man, this is great. We could do. I could do fifty more questions. I just had to how to get brisket. I love brisket. It's got. I think it's my favorite cut of meat, or preparation of meat. Is it a cut or a preparation? It's a preparation. There it is go. all about the preparation. Um, cut against the grain, is, by the way. As is life, right? It's all about the preparation. What thing are you most excited for? The future of marketing. The ability to personalize experiences and the ability to provide better insights back to the business to deliver great experiences, right? So the ability, the combination of those two things, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, those things play a role. But, you know, those things also free us up to employ a lot more creativity as well, right? So that we get that right message to the right person at the right time, et cetera. Truly be able to deliver on that. And um, almost get to the point where you personalize, you know, your, your website or your email messaging or what have you for that particular person in that industry, wherever they're at in their buyer's journey. I think we're getting closer to that every day. And I'm really excited to see some of the technologies that make that possible. Favorite book or podcast you've read or listened to recently? Marketing trends, oh, of course. Hey, now. Always love a plug. Um Last question. What is your best advice for a future RevOps professional? Best advice for a future RevOps professional. Always be learning. There is just, you know, technology moves so quickly. You think you've learned it all at one point, And then, you know, there are new concepts that are introduced, new technologies that are introduced. You have to constantly be out there surveying the landscape, spending the time to learn about what's going on and test it. You know, get your hands dirty, get in there and, you know, to the degree that your business will let you, right? And and test those things out and find out what works. You'll find success. I love it. Thanks so much. This was awesome having you on. Um, we're really excited about 3D systems uh, and, and all the cool stuff that you're working on. So, yeah, where can, where can people find you? What Anything to plug? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com forward slash in slash Kurt Stoll, K-U-R-T-S-T-O-L-L. Best place to find me. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, 
personalized experiences and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences so you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.